Hello, Microbial Nation, and welcome to another episode of The Micro Moment, that show that takes you down to the microscopic level to view the world just a little bit differently. And today's show is going to get a little bit of sci-fi in honor of May the 4th be with you, which really should be a holiday, I think. Don't you think? I truly do. I'll take another day off. Of course. Oh, right. And so joining me today is, of course, my co-host, Jonathan Mitchell and Julie Grubar. And I, of course, am Tess. So first things first, who wants to explain what the heck is May the 4th and what we're doing here today? Well, I don't know who created the holiday, but it's a play on the words May the 4th. So May the 4th is just recognition as International Star Wars Day. I'll go with International Star Wars Day. That sounds right. It should be international, maybe intergalactic. Mm, Probably intergalactic. Yeah, we should go with that one. Right. So it's international or intergalactic Star Wars Day, and we're here to bring you some micro moments of the Star Wars universe. But first, what is your guys' favorite Star Wars moment? I just love like the beginning, the credits and the, the music and the way it comes up and it just gives me chills every time and I've been watching Star Wars for a long, long time. It's a pretty powerful opener. Very dramatic. It is. I think I'm a little torn here. I would say one of the best parts is, at least for me growing up, Return of the Jedi is the battle outside the Death Star. Like mm-hmm. to me growing up, that was always my favorite part of the movie. And that's just held with me the entire time. I always thought how cool it was. And for all those that like to watch the show Clone Wars, it was like the last four episodes of the show. Yeah, those episodes got pretty intense. I know. We were like, all right, we're just going to watch one episode. And it's like 12 Two at night. And we're later. like, we can't stop this. It's too good. <laughs> yeah, we, we definitely binged that hard. And that was like your second run through. And you're like, no, 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 we have to stay up and watch it again. Yeah. <laughs> it got that intense. Well, and you guys are too young, but when I saw Star Wars the first time, it was at a drive-in theater and there had never been a movie like that. There was like the special effects, you know, that's all pretty commonplace for you guys now. But when we were kids and watched it for the first time, you were just awestruck and uh, it was a great future. You knew that we were going to get movies better and better and just more and more intense like that. Um, There was just uh, seeing it for the first time was just amazing when I was a kid because I saw it when it first came out. I think I was probably nine or 10 or something like that, really young. And uh, it was just amazing. Nothing ever. You'd never seen anything like it. Yeah, and actually the special effects hold up pretty good. Like you watch some things from the 2000s when CGI came out and those are terrible, but Star Wars, you can still watch it and be like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah, and the stories are timeless. You know, there's adventure and good versus evil and love things and family and just adventure, just great stuff that just never gets old. So which Star Wars character do you guys think you relate to the most? Wait, wait, wait. What was your favorite Star Wars moment? Well, I'm a lover of all things small for always and forever and for always. So um, it's definitely Ewoks and R2-D2. Anytime R2-D2 kicks ass, I'm like, get it. Love that little droid. (laughs) He's my favorite. 
And Ewoks are just adorable and small and cute and adorable. I mean, as some people might say as unlikable the prequels were, I mean, R2-D2 was a great R2 part. R2 rocked the prequels. Yes, he, it's yeah. worth it just for R2. I mean, everything's worth it just for R2, <laughs> I would say. Speaking of little things, I think in the prequels that maybe were, for me, different than than the original ones, somewhat hard to like in some ways, but when Yoda did that yes. scene and like comes off the ground. I almost came out of my seat in the middle of the theater. I was just, Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yoda. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely the other reason to watch the prequels is that scene. When he's fighting Palpatine. Yeah. In the Senate. Right. Palpatine just looks like an old man. <laughs> that was pretty epic. That yeah. was a very enjoyable scene. It was, it was. Cool. So does anyone want to reminisce about Star Wars anymore? Should we get started here? I could go on all day, but... I, I know. I wonder if we should stop ourselves or... Wait, wait, one more thing. Who do you relate to in Star Wars? Who do I relate to? I think it depends on the day. I would love to relate to Princess Leia. I think she's pretty cool. What about you, Julie? I mean, my favorite character is Han Solo, just because he's so badass and... I love his smile and, and just his uh, his way of doing things is great, but I don't really relate to that. I think maybe I would relate more to uh, Yoda trying to be wise and do things the right way. And so I, I guess Yoda would be who I w- would like to relate to the most. I'd also like to throw out Ahsoka. I can relate to Ahsoka. She like did everything right and still like everyone just hated on her and then she had to leave and like start her own thing all by herself. And I feel like that's me sometimes. She's a very complicated character. Mm-hmm. I would say I would relate to maybe Rex mm-hmm. or Wrecker. Yeah. I'm a bad batch. Yeah. Yeah. You're definitely a Wrecker. He's afraid of heights. <laughs> You're afraid of heights. He's a pretty simple-minded. I feel like I'm simple-minded. Says the man with the master's degree in microbiology. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. So let's let's move on a little bit away from Star Wars, but not completely, and talk about what we will talk about today, which, as we mentioned, is talking more about the micro moments within the Star Wars universe. Today, it's all about food and drinks. So each of us have a food or a drink from the Star Wars universe, and we have transformed into our own universe. We'll talk a little bit about the recipe, a little bit of what we're drinking tonight, the ingredients that go into it, where it fits into the Star Wars universe, and of course, the microbes that made it all possible. Who would like to go first? I guess I could go first. All right, what you got for us? So I didn't focus on one kind of grabbed a couple of them and see how they related to stuff here. And I guess I'll go with what I'm drinking first. It's called a Jawa juice. Jawas. Yeah. And it's also known as Ardies. Ardies? Yeah. Mm, okay. I don't know if that's a play on like how they talk. Mm-hmm. It originated on Tatooine, obviously, because obviously. that's where Jawas come from. That's where the Jawas are. And it's made from banthahydes. Mashed with bantha hides yep, in ma- a drink. Mashed with fermented grain. Yep. Oh, that sounds leathery. Yeah. Ugh. And it can be seen in episode two when Obi Wan visits Dex's diner, where Obi Wan was offered it by the waitress droid. And so 
I found the recipe online, mm -hmm. and it calls for two cups of ale or beer. I went with Samuel Adams Summer Ale, which mm -hmm. has a hint of citrus. One peel of uh, orange, two slices of peeled ginger, one teaspoon of ground nutmeg, two cinnamon sticks, four whole cloves, one tablespoon of granulated sugar, and one pasteurized egg yolk. Never know how I feel about eggs inside drinks. Well, I'm having it, and it kind of tastes if you had mixed a beer with eggnog without the rum. So it's kind of weird. Mm -hmm. But if you're adventurous, I would say try it just for the sake of trying it. All right. It also sounds like it could be done around the holidays, too, with the nutmeg and cinnamon and everything. Yeah. So, all right. Sure. So tell us a little bit about the micro moment of the Jawa juice. All right. So the question is, can you make alcohol using meat? Because this has made the meat, right? Kind of, but not in the strictest sense to make alcohol. Because in order to make alcohol, you need sugar, right? Right. But apparently you can add meat to whatever you're fermenting. Like any meat? I mean, technically. I don't I want to. So... <laughs> There are several beers out there that use meat. Really? Yes. For, what? Yeah. Oh, my God. I'll, I'll get to that Tell in a second. More. But remember, a basic beer is made by using yeast, water, malt extract from a grain source like barley and hops. Right. So I'm going to go with the one that's that has the most history. Mm -hmm. And it's called, for better lack of terms, cock ale or beer. Cock ale. Yes. And this was... Guessing it's from a chicken? Yes. Okay. And it was apparently very popular in England in the 17th and 18th centuries. And was even it something among, like the rich people drank or like... William III drank it. So it was popular like with everyone that even royalty drank it. Oh, okay. And apparently it's even an aphrodisiac. And so what they did is they would cook a, a chicken... A whole chicken? Yeah. Then they would like grind it up after cooking it and throw it into the mash and then let it go. I'm trying not to throw up. And there are beers out there. Usually like people at home, they'll like throw like a, ch a cooked chicken breast or chicken bones to add to beer while it's fermenting. Why? I don't know. I am not that adventurous. So they just like stick it. it in there the whole time it ferments. Yeah. Isn't that like a long time? How long does beer ferment? Beer, I think, like takes one to two weeks for primary fermentation. So a lot longer than I'd like a chicken to be at room temperature for. Yeah. But remember, this is cooked, too. Yeah, but it's still like, I don't know. Okay. It is not the only meat that's used. Mm-hmm. <sighs> there are stouts. <laughs> it's getting worse? <laughs> yes. Oh, it gets worse. There's stouts out there that are made with oysters. Ugh. There are drinks out there that are made with goat brains. Brains? Yeah. <clears throat> Which I don't know how they can sell in the U.S. because the whole, you know, prion thing that goes on. Uh-huh. And even bull testicles. Well, that one, I believe, I'm sure it's an aphrodisiac as well, right? Yeah, probably. I think it's called, like, Rocky Mountain Oysters, something <laughs> like that. <laughs> So, I know your brother asked or jokingly said to me, like, to throw a sausage in to make mead, but apparently- That's that, a thing. That, well, they're fermenting with mead, so apparently that's 
technically a thing. Mm-hmm. All right. I suggest we don't try it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll go to another one. This is called, oh, I'm going to butcher this name, but it's Betubucha tea. Yes. And this is a fruit-flavored fermented tea from Batchu. It is the planet where Galaxy's Edge resides. So it also gained popularity in the core worlds. And apparently this drink isn't very creative. Uh, It is actually... Not in our galaxy. Not in our galaxy. It's actually sold. But it's a kombucha that is already commercially sold. Mm. What fruit is it? It did not specify. So... Since it is kombucha, let's talk about kombucha. Yeah, let's talk about kombucha. So what is kombucha? Well, it is fermented tea that is generally non-alcoholic. And the components are water, tea, sugar, bacteria, and yeast. Mm -hmm. But the bacteria and yeast are in a special form. Right. They reside in a scoby, which is like this rubbery... Gelatinous. Gelatinous thing. And it looks almost mucusy. And it's... The scoby itself is a biofilm, which is also composed of cellulose. And so what you do is you can buy these commercially and you toss the scoby in your tea-sugar mixture and it ferments for one to four weeks. And what's interesting is it needs a steady supply of oxygen while it's doing this. If you're fermenting like alcohol, you generally need to aerate it at the beginning, but it will become anaerobic. And that's what you want to produce the rest of the alcohol. So I thought that was a little interesting that what I'm used to seeing is it's going to get anaerobic. You want to keep it that way. But here you want to make sure it's oxygenated the entire time. Mm-hmm. And then when you're done, you take your scoby out. Maybe you need to strain a little bit and you should have some delicious kombucha to drink. Sounds great. Yeah. Someday soon we'll make some. Right, Julie? Yes. And another hint on making your own kombucha is that it needs to be kept warm, which... Apparently, my house is not warm enough because I killed my SCOBY. Mm-hmm. So I have two more. Maybe I'll just get to one right now. Okay. There's another one in Star Wars Universe called Fermented Bantha Milk. So we're back to the Banthas. Always back to Banthas. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, Star Wars always goes back to Tatooine. And what's the animal of Tatooine? Banthas. So there really isn't much out there except for saying like, Hey, there's fermented bantha milk, and there's like a couple of canon books out there that talk about getting drunk on this, mm-hmm. but not really anything to note. I was curious, like, is there an alcoholic fermented drink out there made from milk? And there is one called Bland, B-L-A-A-N-D. So it's made by fermenting whey and sugar. It's actually a Scottish drink. And sugar. Okay. Yeah. And... There's theories out there that it was introduced by Vikings, but there's no records for Vikings. Vikings didn't really have a written record. Mm -hmm. So So, it's an old drink. Yes, it's an old drink. It's centuries old. And it actually, they believe it started as a fermented byproduct of cheese making. That's how you get the whey, right? Right. So you're making cheese, whey is a byproduct of it, and rather than waste it, might as well make alcohol with it. I mean, they probably just threw it someplace, and then it started fermenting, and someone drank it, and they're like, hey, that gets me drunk. Yeah, exactly. Works for me. And it's generally made with cow, goat, or sheep's milk. Cow, goat, or sheep? Wow, that's a little diversity there. Yeah. Do they add the microbes, or the microbes already there? No, you add the microbes. What do they add? Yeast. Yeast. Yeah. So I think there's already going to be microbes in there. 
um, its milk. So it's not surprised if there's some lactic producing microbes mm-hmm. in there. But generally, to make it, you just add sugar and yeast to milk. And I'm a little interested in trying this just to see what it would turn out. And uh, the alcohol content can be comparable to wine, which I find interesting. I'm, I'm thinking like... How would it be wine? It's from milk. Yeah, but you're also adding sugar. So it the alcohol content will raise because you're adding sugar to it. Oh, okay. I'm thinking back in the day when they just had like the whey and the runoff. Uh, you had some sugar in there, but I highly doubt that you had the amount of sugar needed to get alcohol as high as wine. So I'm sure back in the day it was a lot less alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And I think... Um Yogurt stems from people on the um, the Silk Road way back when, and they used to carry milk um, in like yaks, sheep skin, stomach skin, and then that eventually curdled and became yogurt. Yeah, so that was um, one of the uh, theories of what happened. Yeah. Yeah. So like the heat of the day was hitting the, the bladder or the stomach, and there was already lactic bacteria in there they started producing the acid and curdles and there you go yeah so i think that's it for me for now so i want to point out those because i was i was actually interested how close some drinks in the real world actually applied to drinks in star wars i i know there can be some fantastical things out there but i was i was generally pleased with what i found mm. well i think that's kind of the thing is microbes are so fascinating and so cool that you can take them and put them in a different universe and people are like wow that's so different from what we have here but it's like no nope, we have that here yeah but the only thing i don't want to try is that meat beer yep i am um nope well before i give mine let's have a word from our sponsor Helping to progress science in our own galaxy, our sponsor, Zymo Research, has enabled NASA to conduct microbiome research in space with DNA-RNA shield preserving astronaut fecal samples and with the Zymobiomics Microbial Community DNA Standard sequence on the International Space Station. You can find out more by visiting ZymoResearch.com. Okay, it probably is not going to come to surprise anyone that my micro moment in the Star Wars universe has to do with wine. But not just any wine. This is the wine of Elderon. Before Elderon met its fatal demise, it was well known for fine arts and fine wines. And if you really look into Elderon and its history and its philosophy, it's like basically a utopia. And then George Lucas decided to blow it up. I mean, Darth Vader decided to blow it up. (laughs) Uh, You might only know Elderon as the home of Princess Leia or the place that went kaboom in order to demonstrate the power of the Death Star, but there is a lot more to this beautiful little planet. It was rich culture full of art, philosophy, poetry, nature, and fine cuisine. It was also known as the planet of beauty, which is saying a lot because there's lots of planets in the Star Wars universe. 
It was led by the power couple. You know, we love a power couple. Queen Organa and Senator Bale Prester Organa, who, of course, were the guardians of Princess Leia. And a big part of their culture, as in many fine cultures, is wine. Alderaan could grow a variety of grapevines, which made one of their big hallmarks, the Tonnerre and Emerald wine. Tonnerre is a teal-colored, sparkling, and sweet Eldoranian wine, which can be quite rare, especially now since the planet has gotten destroyed. But if you want a cheap knockoff, all you got to do is get yourself some sparkling white wine, add some mint leaves, a little bit of sugar, and some lime juice, and then... There you go. You got yourself a Tonnerre wine knockoff. So let's talk a little bit about the microbes of wine. Whether we're talking about this universe or the Star Wars universe, the wonderful beverage of wine comes from the beautiful grapevine, which is fermented with our all too favorite microbe that we talk about a lot. Mm, probably more than Vibrio, although Vibrio gets called out more. Mm. I think it's a coin toss, It really. might be a coin toss. But yes, of course, this is Saccharomyces cerevisiae or yeast, as it is more commonly known as. What's so cool about grapevines is that they are clonal, like the stormtroopers. They can have the same genetic material, but like the stormtroopers or the clone wars, uh, the clones and the clone wars, if you want to go that route, they have their own individuality to them. They have a little difference in them, a different taste, a different way that they like to grow, different climates that they like to be in. They're not exactly the same as their neighbors. And many people believe this individuality comes from the microbes that they're grown in and the microbes that they bring into their own system. So you can take a vine from Bordeaux in France and grow it in California or Argentina, and it will be the same genetic material However, it will taste different. And this flavor profile is known as tuar. It is a concept that wine is unique, not just because of the plant, but the soil, the climate, the environment all around it. And all these things also are intricately connected to the microbiome of the plant. But microbes do far more than just add a little thing to your drink. They are also an integral part of plants' health and growth. Microbes can help give nutrients to the plant or defend them against pathogens. And like our own microbiomes in our own guts, the grapevine microbiome has several parts. So if you're not aware, uh, the human microbiome is actually very complex. There's lots of different parts to it. We have our own skin microbiome, we have an oral microbiome, we have a gut microbiome. And plants are just the same, they're just as complex as we are, and have all these little tissue compartments that each harbor unique microbes that are destined to live in these different areas. So I wanna talk a little bit about some of these different biocompartments, these different homes that microbes can live in a single plant. We have a phylosphere, which is the leaf microbiome. Lots of people study this. We have the rhizosphere, which is also very highly studied. So the rhizosphere is the area around the roots. So they're at the soil interface, the soil plant interface, which means it can be very diverse, very complex, and it has this lots of nutrients in there for the microbes to grow, including the nutrients that the plant releases into the soil to attract the microbes closer to them. If a microbe is able to climb into the plant, we call this the endosphere. 
the the microbes that live inside of the plant. Now, obviously, this comes with a lot of different challenges to live inside of a host. Your nutrients may not be as much. Your competition may be higher. The space that you have is smaller as well. So you really need to have some unique characteristics and be very adaptive to your environments to live in these areas. I actually have a quick question. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure people know that you need nitrogen-fixing bacteria for a plant to grow. Are they located in the rhizosphere or the endosphere? They are usually... They usually live inside of the roots. So it's the root endosphere and they form nodules. So they'll form their own little compartments that are extension of the roots that they'll stay in. But rhizobium and a lot of nitrogen fixing bacteria will also just live in the soil. So both. Cool. They make their own little apartments. Yeah, they make their own little apartments inside the grapevine. It's pretty cool. So... Geographical location uh, plays a lot of roles in the microbes and where they go, as we talk a lot about on this podcast. And the actual location within the single vine can also have very different microbial landscapes. So what I think is so interesting about this is that the soil is probably one of the most diverse environments on the planet and probably one of the most important environments on the planet as well. It's full of bacteria, archaea, viruses, fungi, and then you have all those macroorganisms like insects and worms and other plants. The competition is quite fierce in this area, but there's also so many nutrients and it's just thriving with life. And so some of the microbes are able to adapt. They're able to be attracted to what the grapevine is thrown out to them and they can climb into the roots of the plant. And they might be like bacteria like streptomyces or or rhizobium, which are nitrogen-fixing bacteria, which have been known to be beneficial to the plant. So it's always kind of this coin toss of who's attracting the partners. Is it the microbes that are sort of tricking the grapevine or tricking the plant hosts to let them in and give them kind of this safe space? Or is it the plant trying to attract the microbes to help them circle their nutrients? And honestly, it's probably a little bit of both. But, you know, the roots are not just full of bacteria, as I said. They also have fungi like microsphorelia and lophostoma. Other specialized microbes may venture into the sap of the plant, which would allow them to take the plant's highway system. So the sap will be transporting from the roots up to the shoots and vice versa, depending on the water transfer versus phloem, which is the kind of the food transport system. And to be able to live in this area, it's obviously quite different than within the roots. For one, it's going to be very moist, which I use because I know it makes people cringe. And the microbes have to be able to survive in these conditions. Food sources may be fewer in these environments. And so competition and space are very fierce. So in these water systems, the sap environment, some of the microbes that may live here is staphylococcus and yeast. And now these yeasts may be deposited into the fruit, which again is made mostly of water. So this is where we go full circle back into our wine. So while we think of wine as, you know, just the fruit of the plant, we think of it just as fruit, water, yeast, and thyme, there's this whole circle of life and this galaxy, this world within worlds happening within a single grapevine to really build that fruit and put that wine in the glass. And all these microbes 
we should thank for them. Not just Saccharomyces cerevisiae, although she's very important too. Okay, that's probably enough about microbiomes of the grapevines. You guys bored of that yet? No, not at all. Oh, because I could talk about it for like ever. You know how I love love me a good grapevine microbiome story. Well, you edited yourself very well. <laughs> all right, let's look a bit at actual wine production and the microbes that make that happen. So not so much what made the plant happen, but what made the wine into your glass. So there are two fermentation processes in winemaking. There's the alcoholic fermentation and malolactic fermentation. The first involves a yeast, often Saccharomyces cerevisiae, as we have mentioned. The second fermentation step is the job of Onococcus oni. The microbe converts tart-tasting malic acid into a mellower and sometimes buttery lactic acid. Many other microbes, such as lactobacillus and pediococcus, can also do this job of this malic acid fermentation process. Now that we know a little bit more about wine on this universe, I hope we can appreciate wine in the extended universe as well. I bet you, just for his own Sick pleasure. Palpatine had a bunch of Alderanian wine. Oh, yeah. He probably sent one of his little minions down, bought a whole bunch of it, and then blew up the planet. Yeah. Yeah. Jerk. Okay, Julie, what do you have for us from the Star Wars universe? Well, I am going to talk about non-alcoholic, one of uh, a great drink that we all started out with, which is milk. And uh, you may recall the scene where uh, Luke in his later years, who has exiled himself to Achtu and is drinking a disgusting green milk, which like drips off of his beard. And it's just a gross scene. And he made a fantastic face, though. Yes, yeah, so he, he makes. He, he truly sold that scene. Yeah, yeah it's a sick pleasure on his face. Yeah, like, you can't yeah. tell if he likes it or if he's you know, if he hates it and just tolerates it because it's so nutritious or if it really just has some sort of bite to it or, or what? I think he just likes to think about everyone watching him in that scene. Yeah. He just like, just get some pleasure from all the cringiness that he was uh, yeah, manifesting in the world. Quite. Yeah. He, and he doesn't go to the supermarket and, and buy it off the shelf. He like takes it straight from the uh, Tala Sirens. And it's, yeah, an interesting scene. Um, <laughs> and so, but that's a, a very, it's a nutritious drink. It looks like he relies on it. There's uh, probably not a lot of food on that island that he's on, surrounded by water. And uh, so it looks like that's a, a big staple of his diet. And here on earth, babies all start with their uh, either their mom's milk or a uh, man-made equivalent of it. Um, and all mammals, of course, feed their young with milk of some kind. And uh, that milk, they previously thought that it was kind of a, a sterile liquid that just had nutrients. And as they found, it does establish a the gut microbiome of the child. And so they get that first batch of, you know, bacteria and all the things that make up your microbiome, your gut microbiome from mother's milk. And some of your first antibodies come from your mother's milk. Yep. All kinds of good stuff. So mm -hmm. the, uh, the thought had previously been that it was a sterile uh, liquid 
uh, and that the bacteria and stuff came from the skin uh, once the milk was exposed, but they are now finding that milk actually has its own microbiota and it's made out of uh, some things that we might recognize, such as Staphylococcus, Streptococcus, Pseudomonas, and uh, Propion bacterium, which actually cause disease uh, if there are too many of them and uh, the, the host is uh, not able to fight those off. But one thing that I, I wanted to talk about in particular was um, Bifidobacterium, which is my favorite. Yes, it is a good bacteria in your gut that helps you. Uh, it breaks down food, uh, helps you absorb nutrients, and it's also known to fight off the you know bad bacteria that can cause illness, particularly gastrointestinal um, issues. So it's a it's a good one to have, and it's super cute. <laughs> it is a cute one. So trying to relate uh, a good microbe uh, in our gut to a microbe that exists in the Star Wars uh, universe. And midichlorians are, uh, according to Luke, microscopic life forms that reside in all living cells and impart the will of the force to their hosts. And that those that have a higher number of midichlorians are able to hear the will of the force more clearly. Um, and I thought that uh, next to the definition of a probiotic, which our friend Bifidobacterium, probiotics are defined as live microorganisms that when administered in adequate amounts, confer health benefits on the host. Um, so I thought that was interesting. They both mentioned uh, that you know, their host and their good effects that they can have, you know, in there. So no one really knows in the Star Wars uh, universe. And and it does mention that uh, the scientists, both on the dark side and the, the good side of the force, did studies on midichlorians and, and how they uh, affected and if they could actually use them for, you know, to create life or make life better or to use the force more. And now our scientists are studying, you know, milk microbiota and, and how all of the microbes in our, uh, that, you know, live on us and in us can affect us in, in good and bad ways. Uh, so I thought that that was a, uh, an interesting correlation, you know, with, uh, micro yeah. in the Star Wars universe versus our universe. Right. So you basically answered the age old question of how do I become a Jedi? You just have to balance your gut microbiome. So is that why I can't use the force? My, my, my gut microbiome is not, not good. good. Yeah. Only people with perfectly balanced microbiomes can use the force. And I would say, you know, while we don't have any mammals that we know of. We don't have any talosirens that can uh, give us green milk. You could make your own green milk. Uh, we have a recipe on our microbigals.com site for a blue milk recipe and a green milk recipe that you can look up, which since we don't really have real green milk, we can use some food coloring if you would like, or you could color it um, with green milk, you could do it with, um, you know, spinach or kale or something to make your milk green and add an apple, maybe some maple syrup, 
um, and use some maybe coconut or almond or cashew milk. There's uh, a lot of different kinds of plant milks now if you don't want to use dairy milk, but that is certainly a lot of debate in the industry right now about dairy. Is it healthy? Is it not healthy? But I think the most of the research today is pointing to that it is good for you, that it uh, does offer a lot of uh, benefits for you. But uh, there's a lot of different options out there and you can make some pretty cool drinks to start your day or to end your day with a night, you know, put a shot of something in it. If you need to end your day with uh, a nice milky, creamy drink, um, there's a lot of different mm-hmm. options out there. Yeah, I like the blue one more than I like the green one. But they're both good. And if you want it, you can find it on microbygals.com. Well, Microbial Nation, we hope you enjoyed today's episode, and may the 4th always be with you until the revenge of the 5th. Don't forget, everyone, we have several blogs on Star Wars-related material that we've already covered, so come over to- So many blogs. We're not nerds, you're a nerd. (laughs) Our first was actually on Metachlorians. That's why Microbigals exist. Yep, and you can find it all at microbigals.com. That's M-I-C- R-O-B-I-G-A-L-S dot com. <laughs> you can also find us on Twitter at Microbigals. That's M-I-C-R-O-B-I-G-A-L-S. Good job. I spell things. If you like this episode, we have previous years where we covered Star Wars content, including the Bad Batch of Microbes. Oh, yeah, that was a fun one. Yeah. So go check that one out if you like. Each one of the, the Bad Batch members and relate it to a microbe. That relates to their mutant power. Until next time, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.